Last week, they showed you a video with uh, Coach Tomlin encouraging us men to come to a conference called Man Up. We gave these cards out to you as well. I just want to say on behalf of Urban Impact and myself, if there was such a thing as a holy pride, I have that for you as a church. And the reason I say that is because this will be our fourth year that we've done this. And every year, Christ Church has brought a very large group of men to this event. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you because at that conference, it's all about encouraging us men to know that we're loved by God and then love our Love God and love our wives, our kids, and impact the fatherless in our community as well as in the city of Pittsburgh. And we've been doing that together. And because you are a partner church with us, we were able to put this on. In the last year, we sold it out. We had to move the event from where it was to another location. And last year, we had a track for young people. And we actually sold that track out two weeks before the event was even going on. And we packed that out. And I'm saying to this to you because to encourage you with this. That no matter where I go, it's amazing. Whether I'm in a restaurant, if I'm going to the mall or whatever, wherever, people will come up to me and they'll say this. They'll say, Pastor Ed, do you do that thing called man up? I'll say, yeah. And it'll be a young person. A young per- person will look at me and say, you know, my father never told me that he loved me. Never. Until he went to man up. Now he tells me that he loves me all the time. I have women coming up talking to me about my husband and I. We weren't getting along. There's always two sides to that coin. They would say that. I had a problem. He had a problem. We weren't getting along. But my husband went to man up and he came back a different man. And now our marriage is going in the right direction. I have men coming up to me and saying, Ed, you know, the 21st century, man, it's very difficult to be a man in it. And it's very difficult to raise your children and be a husband and a father. Because the culture is changing so rapidly, there's no way I can keep up with the 21st century. Because of the web and all that's going on, information's going into my kids and my grandchildren. And they're learning stuff and finding out things. I don't know what to say. But you bring some of the best preachers in the whole city of Pittsburgh. You bring them together and we have these breakouts. And I'm able to talk to these guys. These guys are able to invest in me so that I can be the best man, the best father, the best grandfather that I could possibly be for my kids in the 21st century. I've had that said to me I don't know how many times. But this is what's really awesome to me. I have young people coming up to me, especially kids that we sent down to, from Urban Impact. They'll come up and they'll say, Pastor Ed, the one thing that you do for us, we think man up's the best. You know why? Because we're in a, we're in a room with, 25, or with 1,200 guys and they're all standing there worshiping the Lord. And I've never been in a room with that many men ever worshiping God ever. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm excited about being a man. That's what they say to me. I don't know what the culture is doing. I don't, I don't know why they're saying that. I guess they, the culture is trying to not celebrate men. I, I don't know. But these young people are coming away saying, man, it's really helped me to just thank God. Yes, but also thank God that how he created me. And helping me to understand that I have a responsibility to be a godly man. And I need, I need to be a godly husband, a godly father. And I need to raise my family knowing him. Folks, I'm, t- I'm saying all that to you to hopefully encourage you that we're partnering in the gospel and we're putting that event on for thousands of men which are impacting thousands of people in the city of Pittsburgh. 
And what's exciting about that is it's not only catching fire here in the city of Pittsburgh, but other cities are talking to us about putting a man up in their city. And that's all started because we partnered together and we pray. So I want you to do something today. I want you to, to God be the glory, but put your hands together and thank God for what he's doing in our city. To him, be praised and thanked. So join up as quick as you can. Right now is the early bird deal, and you want to get that as fast as you can. But here we go. Let's get into the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 12 is our verses this morning, and the title of our sermon is called Growing into Maturity. But before we start, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you one more time for what you're doing in our midst. And I also want to ask you, To forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. You love your people. And we as pastors, you've given us a love for the people. I know Pastor Jared loves the people in which he shepherds. I know that all the pastors, we all love the people. But Lord, you love them more than we do. And we ask that today that you would speak through me to your folks. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. And I would ask, Lord, that you would allow us to hear and understand and that we would not be just hearers, but we would be doers of the word. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, there's nothing more precious than a little child. My son Joshua, when he was 10 months old, he could walk and talk at 10 months. We would be going through the mall or in the grocery store, and he was just a little peanut. And he'd be walking and talking, and people would look at him, and they would walk over and they'd say, how old is he? I'd say, 10 months. And he'd say, oh my goodness, he's so cute. He's like a little man. He can walk and talk. I say, that, that, that's amazing, they'd say. And I'd say, yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? But when Joshua was four years old, and he still looked like he was two, And the doctors diagnosed him with a failure to thrive. It wasn't cute anymore. Not at all. Matter of fact, Tammy and I, we began to cry out to God. God, what's wrong with our son? And we would pray. And we took him to numerous doctors. And we end up at at the children's hospital. And they diagnosed him with a disease called parathyroid disease. And Joshua was actually the youngest child in America that ever had that disease. So we found out that the leading parathyroid disease doctor in the world was down in Tampa. So we went down there and he removed that problem and my son began to grow again. He began to thrive. He began to mature physically. But you know, when my son wasn't growing, we were really concerned. Now switching from the physical to the spiritual, when we as believers aren't growing, we're not maturing, or our loved ones are not growing and maturing... That should cause us to be really concerned. Matter of fact, in our passage, the Apostle Paul is challenging us to take the matter of spiritual growth seriously. This is what he says in verses 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, onto him, who is the head that is Christ. God's goal for us as believers is that we don't, we don't stay infants, but we grow into maturity. You know, people come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Ed, I have been a Christian for 20 or 40 years. And I often say to them, 
You know, spiritual birthdays just tell you how long you've been on the road. It doesn't tell you how far you've traveled. In other words, just because you've been a Christian 20 or 40 years doesn't mean that you're growing. It doesn't mean that you're maturing. So how do you know if you're growing and maturing? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us four ways in our passage. Number one, he says, you mature in the context of the family of God. In the context of the family of God. Two, you you mature by using your gifts. Three, by knowing the word. And four, by speaking the truth. Let's look first of all at maturing in the context of the family of God. Look look what it says in verses 11 through 13. It was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now those people were given specific gifts and they were given to the church to be used. And when do those pastors, teachers, and so on, when or what context, what environment, what atmosphere do they usually use their gifts to teach and preach the word of God? Where are they at? In church, right? They're where the family of God is gathering. That's where they use those gifts. And what are those gifts and what are they doing when they're teaching and, and, and communicating? It tells us in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. That it might mature, it might grow and be built up. Then it goes on in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. Now look at that word unity in the faith. That word faith is referring to the doctrines of the faith. You know, why we put the Nicene Creed up many times is to help you understand the basic doctrines of the faith. It doesn't mean you understand them, you know what they mean, but at least you can see them and you know what they are. But when you know what you believe and why you believe it, you become mature. You grow. And he's saying, once you know those, what happens to you is that you begin to understand truly who Christ is and you begin to truly understand who you are. In Christ, look what it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, how do you mature? You mature in the context, in the atmosphere, in the environment of the family of God. In the animal kingdom, in the animal kingdom, why do animals always run in groups? They're always running in herds. You know why? Because they, they understand this. They understand that they, they cannot reach their maximum potential apart from the group. Matter of fact, they understand that they can't even survive apart from the group. We know that in the animal kingdom, lions love to pray what? They love to pray animals that stray from the family of God. That's not only true in the animal kingdom, but that's true in the kingdom of God. Look what it says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one of the easiest Christians to devour are those who stray away from the family of God. You know what I found after, after 30 years being in the ministry? I found this. I found two things happen when you stop going to church. It's amazing. Two things. One, when you stop going to church... That is when the devil begins to pray because you, you stray. You like put a bullseye on your back. And it's amazing how many people I find 
Later on, as they walk away from church, they stop coming to church, they end up, end up falling into unbelievable temptation. And they end up impact, impacting their life in a negative way and their families. I'm not saying that you can, that you can, I'm not saying that when you come to church that you still can't do that. But I'm finding, I'm saying this, that nine out of ten times, people who walk away from the church, they end up falling into temptation, impacting them and their families. Second thing that happens is they become indifferent towards the things of God and the people of God, and their hearts grow cold and they lose their first love. Those are the two things that happen when you walk away from church. Seriously, how many people do you know that are thriving, maturing Christians that have walked away from the church? In other words, Paul is saying how you mature. One of the ways is staying in the context and the atmosphere of the church, of the family of God. Listen, nobody would tell a baby that just was born at a hospital to go home without a family. You wouldn't do that. No one would. And we know, we know this is true, that children grow up. They grow up strong and best in the context of a healthy, wholesome family. You know, when you think of that, you were brought into a family. It's called the family of God. When we were saved, we were brought into a family. One of the terms that, that describes what happened to us at salvation is a biblical term called, biblical term called adoption. In other words, you were adopted into the kingdom of God. You were a creation of God before you met Jesus. The moment you met Christ, you became a child of God, and you were adopted into the body of Christ, into the family. Another way of describing it, the Bible says it this way. It says that we, once we came to Christ, we were transferred from the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of darkness and we were transferred into the kingdom of light. That's like moving from Las Vegas to, to Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. The atmosphere, the environment of, of Las Vegas, if you've ever been there, is what? It's, it's not there to bring you and draw you towards God. It's to tempt you to do sin. That's why they call it Sin City. But when you go to Jerusalem, and by the way, you can, because... Myself and Pastor Jared are taking a group of people to Jerusalem in 2017. You can come join us. And when you get there, you will find in that city, the city of Jerusalem, that that whole context, the whole environment, the whole atmosphere is there to draw you to God, not to tempt you. When I came to know Jesus Christ, and I've told you I came to Christ when I was 22 years old, I was living in the darkness for a long time. And when I came into the light, I couldn't wait to be with the family of God. I couldn't wait to be at church. Because when I was at church, the brothers and sisters there were encouraging me, strengthening me, helping me to walk with Jesus. However, when I went back home to my family, none of my family members knew Jesus. So when I would literally go back to my home, the atmosphere, the context, the environment wasn't there to encourage me. Matter of fact, they tried to discourage me from walking with God. So I couldn't wait to go to church so I could be with brothers and sisters where iron can sharpen iron so I could grow and begin to walk with God. That's what concerns me when people talk about the fact that they don't, they don't want to be in church. I'm going to myself, what are you doing? What, do you not understand that you have a world, the flesh and the devil coming after you and wants to destroy you and your family and your faith? You've got to be in the context where people are going to begin to encourage you and strengthen you. So that's why Paul's saying, you know what? You've got to be in the family. 
You've got to be part of the family of God in order to mature. Which leads me into my second point. The second point is this. That not only are we to be in, in, in the context of the family, but we are to use our gifts in the family. And when we do that, we mature. Look at what it says in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That word grace there is referring to salvation. In in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it talks about this. It, It says that we are saved not by works, but by grace. When you repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, in that moment, you were saved. You were saved by grace, not by your works, but by his finished work on the cross. In that moment, you became a believer. But that word grace in that passage right there, verse 7, is also talking about something that happened to you when you were saved. In the moment you were saved, you were given a gift. Look what it says in verse 8. Paul is quoting Psalm 68 in verse 8. He says this, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Did you know when you were saved, in that moment you were born again of the Spirit? That the Spirit of God came and lives in you. Not just around you, but lives in you. You have a personal relationship with the living God now because the Spirit of God dwells within you. And when he came to live within you, he brought a gift or gifts with him. And every one of you as believers have been given a gift. That means every follower of Jesus Christ is gifted. How about that? Every one of us is gifted. We've all been given a gift or gifts. Now, some of you are saying, where are those gifts, Pastor Ed? I don't even know that they existed, some of us. Well, when I became a Christian, I didn't know. Somebody had to talk to me. You know where they're found? It's not all the lists, but here's two lists that you can go back and look at. Romans 12, verses 6 and 8, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 and 11, will give you the list of all the gifts that he gives to us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have one of those gifts or other more gifts. And why are they given? They're given to us and given to you and me to be used in the body of Christ, to strengthen, to build up the body of Christ. Look, look at verse, verse 11 says, it says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now they were gifted specifically for the church, for the body of Christ, for the family, family of God to do what? Verse 12 tells us to prepare his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So as I'm using my gift today as a pastor and teacher, and I'm teaching you, I'm equipping you, I'm preparing you to do works of what? Service. And if everyone uses their gift to do works of service, what happens to the body of Christ? It's built up. In other words, it grows, it matures. It's like this, folks. And if we're using our gift, it becomes healthy. The church, you become healthy, the church becomes healthy. It becomes stronger. You become stronger. And all of a sudden now we're not just making a little impact. We're making a huge impact in the world in which we live because everybody, everybody's working together. Everybody's using their gifts. Everybody's contributing. Everyone's being part and doing their part. Another way of saying this is this way. Here now, here now listen to this. The body grows when every part contributes. Can you say that with me? The body grows when every part contributes. And every part grows because it's contributing to the whole. In other words, Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, 
If you use your gift, you mature, you grow. But if you use your gift, not only do you grow, but the body of Christ grows. If you have a gift in mercy and you use that gift in mercy, you're growing. But when you use that gift of mercy, what happens to the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters, they grow and mature. But if you don't use that gift, when people need to have mercy, it's not there. And you don't grow and they don't grow. Do you see this? So what the Apostle Paul is saying, when everybody contributes, everybody works together and uses their gift, the body grows. Folks, if you don't know your gifts, you need to find out. But once you find out, you begin to use those gifts for the body of Christ. You know, he's talking about the body of Christ over and over in, in, in this passage at different times. Throughout the scriptures, it refers body of Christ, meaning the church, or family of God, meaning the church. He's talking about the church working together. And when you talk about the body working together, everybody using their gifts, they'll say this. They'll say the eyes need to work with the hands and the hands need to work with the feet. And when that happens, the body stays healthy. The body matures. It gets, it becomes strong. But if the eyes and the hands and the, and the feet don't work together, then you don't have a healthy body. It doesn't grow. It doesn't mature. Another way of saying this is like this. We all have cells in our body. And medically speaking, those cells, when they are cooperating with one another, they're contributing. What happens is your body stays healthy. But the moment some group, a group of cells begin to go rogue, begin to do their own thing, they don't want to contribute or they don't contribute. What ends up happening to those cells? You end up having cancer. And then when cancer doesn't leave the body, but continues to stay in the body and draw the blood from the body, the oxygen from the body, those cells begin to multiply. You got cancer and now your body isn't healthy anymore. And next thing you know, it's dead. You know what people will say to me all the time? How come churches die? How come they, well, a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is, is because 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And people get discouraged and they give up and then all of a sudden nothing's happening in the church and then all of a sudden it goes away. In other words, we are the body of Christ. This isn't coming to the movies. See, I I find today in church, a lot of us think we're going to the movies or something. You know, it looks dark, it's here, you got screens, you come and you watch, and you listen, and you watch, and then you leave and you never interact with one another. That's why we have the cafe. We have the cafe so that you might interact, that you might help one another, you might pray for one another, you might look out for one another, you might get to know one another. But if you come in and you look at it like it's a theater, and you watch, and you leave, and you don't contribute, then you're the cancer. You take the blood, you take the oxygen, you leave, and what ends up happening to you and your family is you become a midget spiritually, you become a, you never grow up. God wants you to use your gift and, and use it for the body. And when you use it, when you know it and you use it, then you come to church and you don't just watch, you're looking out for other people and you stop thinking about yourself. And when you stop thinking about yourself, you don't think about your problems anymore. You're too busy thinking about other people. Isn't that the attitude of Christ? That we're supposed to be thinking about other people? And when we do that, a healing takes place. Many times, people walk out of that church that day. They're so encouraged because they got to encourage somebody. They got to use their gift. But if you don't, listen, if all of us were snowflakes, okay, You're a snowflake, I'm a snowflake, and you're a snowflake all by yourself. Today, you'd be around about that quick, right? 
gone. But if a bunch of snowflakes started coming and we all cooperated, we contributed together. Next thing you know, you have an avalanche. Matter of fact, you can have snow so, so hard, so strong, you can stop a city. You see, when we start cooperating, we start using our gifts, we become a force to reckon with. But the church is not dynamic, not impacting its community because a lot of people don't even have a clue what their gift is. Do you see this? Folks, does anybody get this? I mean, do you understand this? No, really, it's really important. Because if you don't understand that, you walk out and nothing changes. You don't change. I don't change. We don't get any better. This isn't the movies. Right? This is about you and me walking with the one who walked out of the grave and lives. The one who has the power to change your life, my life, the people you're praying for. But if we're not working together, then we're a cancer. So here's the deal. You can mature. You can grow. You can be everything that God intended you to be. And when that happens, what happens? We begin to mature. We begin a movement. We begin to do things that we thought we could never do because we're together doing it. And we're protected. We're kept. And the enemy doesn't devour us. Last thing, because I'm running out of time, is this. Last point I'll make is this. You mature by knowing the word of God. Look at verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In verse 13, it says this, until we all reach unity in the faith. What are we talking about? We're talking about the doctrines. And when you know the doctrines, you know what you believe and why you believe it, you become mature. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, when you know the truth, the truth will help you not to be deceived. When you know the truth, you'll know the difference between what is right, what is wrong. You'll know what's true and what is counterfeit so that you will not be deceived. My, my sister was a bank teller for many years, and she would talk to me about times that she would have to look at the real dollars. She looked at the $10, the $20, the $50, the $100 bills, so that when a counterfeit came her way, she would know. One day, she was looking at those bills, and her boss came up to her, and she looked at him, and she said, well, how come we always study the real bills? How come we don't study the counterfeit? And this is what he said. If you know what the real one looks like, you'll recognize the counterfeit. Hear me, if you're not in the word, if you don't know the truth, then you can be easily deceived. And if you're not growing in the Lord, you'll you'll stay that infant and you won't grow to be mature. The only way that's going to happen is by knowing the truth. When you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. You got to know the truth. I'll never forget this guy coming into my office. He said, you know, pastor, I've been I've been a Christian for 20 years. I said, oh, that's great. He said, yeah. And you know what? I finally met my, the woman I'm supposed to marry. I said, where'd you meet her? Down in Florida. I said, okay. I said, uh, so when's it happening? He said, well, God just told me that I'm supposed to marry her. I said, does she know that you're supposed to marry her? He said, well, not yet. I said, okay. I said, well, how do you know you're supposed? Well, I just know God told me. I said, well, when are you going to go down and tell her? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to go down two weeks from now. 
but I'm going to go down and I got to tell you, she's married. I said, okay, she's married. Does that mean that she's going through a divorce? Oh no. She seems to be really happy about being married. I said, so two weeks from now, you're going to go down and you're going to tell this woman that God told you that you're supposed to be married. Yeah. Why? Because God told me. I said, how? Where? And I opened up the Bible and I showed him in the Bible that we are not supposed to covet each other's wives or husbands. And then I showed him, and you're not supposed to cause divorce. You're not supposed to get in between two people who are happily married. And he, and he looked at those verses and he said, wow, I never saw that before. Now, this is a person who's been in church for 20 years. How does somebody in 20 years not know the word of God? Because when they think about direction, they're not thinking that, that God's word is their compass. When they're making decisions, they're not looking to the word of God being the ultimate counsel. When they're thinking about what's right and wrong, they're not thinking that the word of God has all authority. They're, not, they're just doing what they do. They live their life. You can't grow unless you know the word of God. Amen? Amen. So I want to say to all of you as we close today, I want to thank God that we're all in the body of Christ today. We're all learning from one another. We're iron sharpens iron. We're you're learning in the word of God. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have small groups. That's why we're doing all these things so that you might grow. You might mature so that we're a force to reckon with. So that we are together working with one another to strengthen one another. There's people in this room who are sick that don't need to be sick. If you'll use your gifts, there are people in this room that would have jobs if we would all work together and use our gifts. There are people in this room that would be encouraged if we all used our gifts. Guys, let's stop being the theater and let's start being those snowflakes. Huh? Let's go out and let's begin to say to ourselves, we're going to learn our gifts. Yeah, we're going to learn our gifts. We're going to mature. We're going to be in that word. And my last thing is this. Pastor Jerry, is it okay? Okay. He's saying, okay. I'm going to let you out of here. But we've got to speak truth in love. I wasn't going to go there. But i got to say it. Here it is. Too many people take the word of God, the truth, and they use it like a hammer. And they beat people. Don't do that. Okay? Take the truth. You see people going another way. They shouldn't go that way. You go up and you lovingly care for them. To restore them. And you speak the truth in love to them. Today, if I was speaking to you and, and you kind of like, ooh, that, that was conviction. That's not me. That's the Spirit of God. Some of you, when I was speaking, you're going, man, I'm motivated. Some of you are going, man, I'm encouraged. That's the Spirit of God. But we have to do it in love. Jesus came. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. It was show and tell, everybody. He came to communicate and demonstrate the love of God. He came and he said this. He, he came as the visual and verbal expression of the invisible God. But when he came, he spoke the truth. But he spoke the truth in love. He didn't just talk about love. He loved. He didn't talk about forgiveness. He forgave. He didn't just talk about mercy. He showed mercy. Love one another. Speak the truth. Correct one another. But always to benefit the other person. You do that, and we'll have a healthy, dynamic bunch of snowflakes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for the partnership that we have. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the pastoral staff, the leadership. 
But I thank each and every one that's in this room. You have gifted them. They are part of the family. Help us all to learn and understand who we are in Christ and get about service for you. Help us to grow. Help us to be that force to reckon with. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.